tonight I'm going to um, preach Jesus through Exodus again. So this is um, part two of three. Uh, part one was a couple of weeks ago. That's on the podcast. And the aim really is to look at actual fact with the emphasis that the whole Bible points to Jesus. Uh, that it's all about him. The whole of the Old Testament just foreshadows him and speaks to his coming. And the whole of the New Testament proclaims his life and then the impact that he's had and then his message and his kingdom that we get to take forward into the world. And we never move on from, from preaching Jesus. Okay? I will unashamedly preach Jesus from now until the day I die or when he returns when I will see him face to face and we will hang out. Okay? We never move on. There is, there is no more sophisticated sermon topic than Jesus. There is no greater subject. It's all about him. Because at the end of the day, we, we don't preach um, a philosophy or, or a life plan or, or a set of commands. We preach a person. And we don't even preach a kingdom in isolation. That's important as well. All right? We preach the kingdom. We preach the kingdom of Jesus, who is the king. Alright, so every time we do this, it is all with the utmost focus on Jesus. And I'd like us just to come expectant tonight, because uh, I'm going to read some scripture, which is the word of God, which is inspired by the Holy Spirit. If you're here, if you're saved, you have the Holy Spirit inside you. And he will speak to us tonight. He will bring revelation of himself and his character. He will speak to your heart. And so... Happy to just, you know, get yourself just in an attitude of just receiving just now. We'll pray. Let's pray together. So I'm going to pray out, but just ask Holy Spirit as well. Just ask him to increase your faith. Ask him to increase your relationship with him. And just ask him to show you more about his glorious nature. So, yes, God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your truth written down for your message to us for your declaration of love over us and for the revelation of you oh god that in your word your character your love and your blessing to us are revealed and holy spirit we just invite you tonight come fill us come speak to us let us know more of you tonight let us go away just with even greater roar of you amen going to go from Exodus 3, just to recap briefly on, uh, on last time, we compared Moses and Jesus, uh, so both born as babies into a people in captivity, uh, with a ruler of the time that tried to kill both them and other babies like them around the time of their birth and early childhood, and both actual fact grew up with their non-biological fathers. And there's a, there's a greater list by which we compare Moses and, and Jesus. Um, but we compared that. We also compared their times in the deserts, both with Moses tending uh, the kind of flocks uh, as a shepherd, and with Jesus, in fact, in his time uh, of temptation in the desert, and that both of them actually proved their character and their integrity as the first part of any, any ministry and any mission that they embarked on. And that what you actually you do in the quiet when no one is watching is what God will build on to change the world. So 
if that will save you listening to last week's podcast, you're welcome. And uh, that's, the, that's the very brief synopsis, but feel free to listen for more detail if you'd like. But if you turn to Exodus chapter 3, and we'll read a good chunk of this. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that, through the, that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush not, does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Salovites. And now the cry of the Israelites, different heights, very important, has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And the sign will be, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. Uh, Another translation of that is, I will be who I will be. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. It's quite an encounter, isn't it? So... And it's interesting because the the take on this often is that Moses is wandering by and hears God calling him from a bush and goes over and responds to that and the rest of history. But it it doesn't actually quite occur in that order. There's an interesting point to draw from this. If you just look at verses 3 and 4. So Moses has seen the bush, it's on fire. What actually comes first? Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And then actually God responds. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush. Moses, and calls him by name. Okay. Because it started actually with Moses' curiosity. What's going on here? There's something rather dramatic happened. There's a bush that's on fire. There's some form of abnormal phenomenon going on, yet the bush is not burning up. I'm just going to go over and have a closer look. And out of that, God then speaks to him, and God calls. There's an actual fact. Often, the first encounters with God can start off with just a bit of of curiosity. 
It's going, what's going on there? There's something different that's happening there. Or that looks a bit out of the ordinary. Or, oh, look, there's something miraculous going on over there. I'm going to go and I'm going to have a closer look. And then God speaks and God calls. Too often, we see that there's something dramatic or miraculous going on and we stand at a distance waiting for God to shout our name from the bush. All right? We miss out. Because actually, in fact, God will call your name, but God is actually calling on you to be exploring, to be curious. Okay? We often think, especially people that, that don't know God, and if you don't know God tonight, I, I would recommend him very highly. Um, uh, but often we can think, well, actually, in fact, if he would just come with a dramatic sign and shout my name aloud from the heavens, that would be enough. I'll just wait here until that happens. Whereas in actual fact, often God is waiting for you just to take that first curious step and then he comes rushing to meet you. Okay? He's saying, even if it's just spotting, okay, there's something that's going on, that something is a bit different, something that I've heard of or something that I've seen, or that church over there, those people seem a bit different. Different in many ways, we're wonderful, aren't we? Um, uh, and just going, I'm, go- I'm going to go and I'm going to have a look at that. I'm going to go and explore, and I'm not going to let the fact that it is outside of my everyday experience put me off. I'm going to take the first step, and I'm going to be inquisitive. Okay? God made humanity to be curious and to explore. That is part of our nature. Okay? And sometimes we, we, you know, we try and throw some fear-mongering into the mix. You know? I have no idea where the phrase curiosity killed the cat came from. Well, apparently there was a cat one time that was a bit too curious, resulted in some nasty circumstances for it. But, in fact, but without curiosity, we, you know, we, we'd all be, yeah, I don't even know if we'd be sat in a cave. We probably wouldn't even be near a cave. All right? <laughs> you know, we wouldn't, you know, they wouldn't have developed fire, the wheel. Without curiosity, there would be no iPhones, no cars, no microphones, because someone, actual fact, pushed on and said, I'm going to see where we can take this and take this a bit further, because God has made us to be innovative, and as God has made us to be curious, and God has made us to explore. And in actual fact, for all of eternity, okay, you're not going to be sat around. All right? In heaven, you're not going to be sat there going, just looking back and remembering the good times of when there was still new stuff that you could kind of dig up. Okay? You are going to be exploring with God and exploring the goodness of God throughout all of eternity. He has made us that way. Okay? And so, one of, I'd say one of the keys actually in terms of exploring and going further with God in our Christian walk is actually allowing ourselves to be curious and don't allow the fact that something was outside of your previous experience to put you off. Okay? Christian movements have a habit of doing this, of saying, okay, we have now got the defined picture of how God acts in this box, okay, and there's something different going on over here, but okay, if it's really of God, he will shout to us from that bush that's on fire. Rather than Okay, well, let's go and have a look. Let's see. What new, what new things is God doing? Okay, and just take that step towards it. Okay, and there's many examples, even just over, you know, over the last century. You know, you've got the charismatic renewal, of the, the, the things that we take for granted today of operating in gifts of the Holy Spirit, of seeing healings, bringing prophecy, word of knowledge, wisdom, Okay. That was something that people started pressing into, saying, actually, God is doing, doing a new thing. 
Let's go and have a look at that. Okay. I think the, uh, the current revelation that God's bringing of the Father heart of God and the emphasis on having a kingdom mindset, these are things that in actual fact, if we say, no, that's not within our current framework, it can put us off. I'm just waiting, okay, I need to hear the voice of God from the sky before I embark in this, or from the bush. No, go have a look at that. All right. No, we'd be, no, we need to be wise. Okay? Not every new thing that crops up in spirituality is of God. Okay? But that's why he gave you the Holy Spirit, so that you can discern that. Alright? So don't let that put you off. Alright? Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Okay? Don't let fear rob you of the chance to explore new things that God is doing. Alright? So, he will meet you. He will speak to you. And it will become very apparent that it is God, if God is there. All right, that makes sense, okay? Moses, after going and having a quick look at this, very quickly came to the conclusion that God is here, and that's why he's fallen on his face down without his shoes. All right? Because he knows that God is here, it becomes very clear that God is in that place. All right? It will be the same. Okay? Because you have the Holy Spirit. Be an exploring people. Okay? Be constantly looking. Okay? And it's great when you hear the audible voice of God from the sky. But actual fact, God wants to partner with you. And often, if you're taking the first step towards him, he'll meet you in that place. All right? So what I would say is that the, the key part of Moses' ministry, of the whole mission of him bringing freedom to an entire nation, it started off with a revelation of the nature of God. That's the way the starting point. Saying, wow, I've had an encounter with God, and that's what takes you on, takes you further. That's the basis for everything that Moses did. That's the basis for what we do. Because in actual fact, we are meeting with God, we are encountering him, and we are constantly seeking a greater revelation of his divine nature. We're constantly exploring all the goodness that he has to offer. And then Moses is commissioned. God says, I've sent you. you. You go to Pharaoh, who, you know, the most powerful uh, person in the region at that time, and says, you're going to go and say, let my people go, and you're going to take the people out of Egypt. Moses kind of has a, me, really, kind of moment. Um, And then God says, well, I'm going with you, which is reassuring. And then Moses actually has, well, actually, I think it's probably a good question, and saying, well, when I go to Pharaoh, when I go to you know, the rule of the nation and say, uh, God has sent me to take these people away, and when I go to the Israelites and say, God has sent me to lead you out of Egypt, um, how am I to introduce you? What is your name? How do I describe you? How do I differentiate you from other gods? What are you like? Because you have to remember the context of the time, actually. Um, in Egypt, there was a whole pantheon of supposed gods. All right? they, they had gods for everything. Okay? And they, they, in fact, they were responsible for varying different things. You had the, you know, the god that blessed agriculture, the god that brought the rain, uh, the god that brought healing. And, and in fact, they tended to shift around a bit over the, over the kind of many hundred years. It's a bit like... Um, bit like cabinet ministers being reshuffled from, say, health to education. A bit like that. So, you know, the one, one god had done a fairly good job, apparently, with agriculture, was then also put in charge of the sun. It was this kind of thing that went on uh, in the Egyptian pantheon of gods. 
And so when, when Moses was going to go into Egypt and speak into this circumstance and say, God has sent me, they would have gone, well, which ones? What's he in charge of? And interestingly, in fact, if you look at the ten plagues that God sent against Egypt, those ten plagues directly confronted an Egyptian deity with each one. I'll give you an example. Okay, what was the first plague? Those of you that have read Exodus recently, you'll know the one. What was the first plague? Nile turned to blood. Okay, the Nile was actually represented by a god in Egypt. You had Hapi, the god of the Nile. Because actually that's the main life source of Egypt, isn't it? That river. And so they represented it with a god. And so when Moses and Aaron went in, the first thing they were able to say is, our god has authority over this. And no, your god is not in charge here. Okay? So, what was the second, second plague? Frogs. Does that seem weird to anyone? All right, so, you know, like, I could just, like, think it through, right? You've got, you know, the Nile, a river, turns to blood. That's that fairly badass, if we're honest, okay? And then you've got the next plague, which is frogs, which seems unusual. Does it not? Okay. <laughs> you had Hecate, uh, actually the goddess of childbirth uh, within Egypt, often represented with a frog's head. Actually, a a frog goddess. So it's a direct confrontation of that. I'll go on. I won't quiz you on all ten plagues, by the way, so just in case anyone's starting to sweat there, we'll we'll let you off. Third plague, okay, confronted the Egyptian god Geb, god of the earth. Because in actual fact, the gnats or lice actually came out of the earth when Aaron says he hit the dust with his staff and the gnats rose up from the earth. It's another direct confrontation saying these very, these very deities that you thought were there and you thought were a protection on you are actually going to be the source of a lot of your troubles because they're coming up against the one true God. Okay, next was flies and you've got Wachit, the god of flies or swarms. You had a plague on livestock which goes up against Hathor who was a cow goddess of some kind. You've got Ofla, the god of sausages. Uh, sorry, that's, uh, that's, that's a Terry Pratchett character. You can ignore that one. Um, that's <laughs> the basis that in any barbecue, there is always one sausage offered as a burnt offering. That's the basis for that. Um, so, no, skip over that. Um, but you've got, the, you had a plague of boils, which directly went against Sekhmet, the goddess of healing. Okay? There was a goddess of the sky, nuts. So God sent hail from the sky. You had Seth, the god of storms, disorder, crops, and there was a plague of locusts. Okay? Most people will have heard of Ra, the sun god of Egypt, and in fact there were a variety of, of, of um, gods and deities ascribed to the sun. But in fact the ninth plague was complete darkness, where the sun was obliterated and shown to be powerless before the might of God. And finally, Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a god in the beliefs of ancient Egypt. In actual fact, the main god. And so, him and his line, his sons, were gods to their people. The firstborn of Pharaoh is killed as a direct confrontation 
God. So, Moses goes and speaks into this kind of context. So the people have been asking, all right, you know, what's your God's name? What is he like? Does he have a duck for a head? Does he, you know, what are the things that goes on? What does he look like? What's he in charge of? Is he in charge of agriculture? Is he in charge of shoes? Is he in charge of bread? Oh, yeah, what, what is he the God of? And God says, I am who I am. Because God is not defined by external reference. Okay? He is incomparable. And he cannot be simply pictured or summarized. He says, I am who I am. You, you, you can't even begin to define me. You can't picture me. I am not a small regional deity that is in charge of one specific thing. I am the Lord of the entire universe. I am who I am. Phrase actual fact that was used by Jesus uh, in John 8. Jesus said to the Pharisees, before Abraham was, before Abraham was born, I am. Okay? That's why they tried to stone him at that point. That's why they tried to kill him, because that uh, to them is utter blasphemy, because he is actually using one of the names of God, I am, for himself. Not only claiming that he is eternal, that he was around before Abraham, their main patriarch, he's saying, I was there before, and now I am. He's saying, I am God. That's what Jesus has claimed. How else does God describe himself? Well, he says, I am the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Because this is the amazing thing. And even in this, this is pre-Christ, but God is saying, I am who I am. You can't define me. I am the God of the universe, but also I am a personal God. I am the God of your fathers. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I am now your God, and I will be your God. This is my name forever, that you know, and you shall call me from generation to generation. So from eternity past to eternity present future, God has revealed himself, and he is that personal God. And he was saying to the Israelites, I've got track record here. You, 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 know, you know me a bit. You've seen what I do. I have spoken to your forefathers. I called Abraham to be the father of the great nation that you already are, and ultimately to bless the whole world. Because God is a personal God, now and forever, past and future, saying from generation to generation, he is both completely unknowable in his greatness but he makes himself known he reveals his name and he reveals himself to us but on the on the kind of vastness and the uh, the limitless nature of god that we can't put him in a box that we can't know him in his entirety. If you look at the first two commandments, so later on in Exodus, God speaks to Moses, gives him the Ten Commandments. First one, you shall have no other gods before me. Second one, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them, and then it goes on. Why was it important that God said very specifically, so first command, no other gods but me. I am the one true God, he says. Second command, 
Don't make any images. Don't make statues or pictures of anything in the earth below. And this can apply both to don't make pictures or statues of other gods, of other idols that you might be tempted to worship, but also very much don't make a statue or an idol of me. Why has God set that very early on in, in the two commandments? It's because he's saying, you can't define me. Don't, don't think that you can make an image that will show you what I am like entirely. He's saying, don't think that you can define me or put me in a box. Okay? If you make a statue of me, you're going to be tempted to say, this is our God, this is what he looks like, these are the things that he does, and we know this. As God says, no, don't, don't make an image of me, because you can't define me, you, you, you can't represent me properly. Any attempt that the Israelites would have made to make a statue that represented the one true God, the creator of heaven and earth, would have only actually hindered them in their worship. They might even have started with good intentions of saying, well, actual fact, if we make this statue, it will remind us and we will bring our worship in this place. Whereas in actual fact, it would have given them a much smaller concept of God because it would have made them think, we understand God. We know what he's like. He is like this. He does this. We know that. That is our experience. Nothing outside of that. That's why it's actually set in. Say, that second commandment is about not limiting God, about not putting God in a box, about saying, in actual fact, God is always revealing new things about himself. You cannot represent him with an image or a statue. Until Jesus. Jesus was sent as a revelation of God. I want to read from Matthew 3. Let's get that up. So, from verse 13. This is the baptism of Jesus. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. It starts with a revelation of God. Jesus is the revelation of God. So, In the desert to Moses, God proclaims, I am who I am. Reveals some of his divine nature, gives one of his names, and shows what he is called to do. And then in actual fact, the audible voice of God speaks again over Jesus, saying, this is my son, this is who I am. This is my son with whom I am well pleased. And God brings that direct revelation again. It all starts, this is right at the start of Jesus' ministry. So that fact, before his temptation, which I spoke about, which we looked at a couple of weeks ago, when, he's, when he's, Jesus is baptised, the Spirit comes and rests on him, and the Father speaks audibly and proclaims, this is my Son. Because Jesus, as Jesus says, John 14, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. 
Jesus is the absolute representation of God. It is all about Jesus, as we've been speaking about earlier. We never move on from Jesus. We never do anything more dramatic. We're just in the business of introducing people to Jesus. The constant walk is, Jesus, I just need to know more of you. Quote Bill Johnson, Jesus Christ is perfect theology. You want to see what God's like? Well, he showed you, because he came. Jesus Christ, God himself, sent by the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit, to live perfectly and demonstrate the nature of God here on the earth. And that's all that we proclaim, very simply. That's all we need to be seeking, is just that revelation. Okay? Before we're doing anything else, is what is the nature of God? Who is this God to whom we come? And God, who in the Old Testament said, I am who I am. You, you, you can't actually name me, you can't define me. Don't try and make an image of me. And then he sent Jesus to represent himself perfectly. Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. It's the image of the invisible God. That's, that's what God looks like. It's not afraid, the invisible God, and yet he has an image, because he came fully God, fully man. And he showed us what that was like. And he showed what it was like to live a a life, a human life, in constant communion with God. Filled with the Holy Spirit and just walking with God day in, day out. And he also came fully God as well as fully man to show us completely the true nature of God. To come in perfection and say, this is what God is like. And this is what I think. I think God God forbade man to make images of him because one day he was going to send the perfect image of himself. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, utter perfection and he is the great revelation of God. And that's what we just need to be seeking. And so, just want to kind of apply this in two ways. I think there's two responses to that. There's one, the are we going to be a people that are ex- constantly seeking just to explore the greatness of God and be open to the new things that he is doing? Are we going to be a curious and an exploring people, as I've said earlier? Okay. Are we going to be a people that seek not to put God in a box? Now, I think we always will to some degree, okay? but as long as you realize that you've done that and that you're happy with God to break that box and then you to move on, then that's fine, all right? I think every time I think, 
all right, I think God shows me something new about himself. And then my natural nature is to go, right, I'm going to then stack that up with the other things that I know about God. Good, I've I've got a bigger list now. Okay, now, I think that's our natural nature. But in actual fact, as long as we're happy that we're thinking, okay, God, what's next? What else else are you going to add to this list? Okay, how are you going to break that box that I've put around you next time? And be constantly open to that, to God expanding our ideas about what he is like. That's one, one point that I think I, think I want us to be pressing into. And then the other is just very simply, it's just seeking that greater revelation of Jesus and to be very simply proclaiming him and his goodness to the world. Okay. Will you stand? All right. Lord Jesus, we praise you. Oh, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And in you, all things were created. Lord Jesus, that you came, oh God, that we thank you that we can now point to you and say, that is our God. He is our God. You, Lord Jesus, you are our God. And we just seek a greater revelation of you. Oh God, We choose to be open-minded about the greatness of God. Oh God, we just ask that we will be able to explore with you, that you will expand our view of you, of what you are like, of the things that you can do. Lord, pray that we won't discount what you are doing or miss out on what you want to show us out of fear or out of complacency or out of stubbornness thinking that we've already got it all. Lord God, that you will keep us humble, that you will keep us hungry, that you will just always be drawing us on after you. Thank you, God, that as soon as we take that first step towards you, just say, oh God, what else are you longing to show me? That you come rushing to meet us. And that you bring a revelation of yourself, of the divine nature. Lord Jesus, we just proclaim that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. There is no God but you. You are our perfect saviour and we thank you that we can know you. (laughs) You are the eternal God and that through your blood, Lord Jesus, through your sacrifice, you have made the way that we can come into your presence and know the unknowable God. Just ask that we can proclaim that message to the world. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love you. We declare you are our king, you are our friend, you are our saviour, you are our Lord. All this for your name. Amen.